Amen. Well, we're, we're about to cross the finish line of this series, uh, the, the four-week series called Prove It. If you're a guest here today, you're coming in on the, at the end of this series, but all of these, these talks stand alone. But if you would like to catch up with those, uh, that'd be wonderful. You can do that at newlifecanton.com or on our app. Now, I do want to quickly review uh, this chair illustration that we've carried through the whole series. And these chairs represent every single person in the room. And the reason I want to continue this, I'm not going to reference this a whole lot today, but I want to get this thought of movement. This idea of continual movement, it's the key to discipleship, it's the key to growing your faith, is movement, never getting satisfied with where you are. So those of you who have been here several weeks, you're going to help me out with this. In chair one, we have the seeker. That's right. This is Maybe you're here today and you have not bought into the Word of God, Christianity, Jesus, but you know there's something more to life. You know there's something bigger than yourself out there. You know there's a void in your heart and in your life that you've tried to fill with a bunch of stuff that has not worked. And the reason you have the void is because you've been created by God with that. And the only thing that can fill it is Him. It's the only thing that can fill it is the Spirit of the living God. That's, that's chair one. That's, that's somebody who's seeking and trying to find. And can I just say I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are always welcome here. And we hope you continue in that, in that path to where you, eventually you come and give your life to Christ. And in chair two, we have the, the believer. This is someone who has made a decision to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've been born again. You've heard it that way. You can't get any more saved than in this chair right here. This person has passed from death to life. And the high cost of this was the blood of Jesus. No one else. You could, there was no way you could get from this chair to this chair on your own. You can't give enough in the offering. You can't go to church enough. You can't go on a mission trip. Nothing. It's only through the precious blood of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. That's right. So that's chair number two. Then we move to chair number three, which is the, the servant. If you have decided to follow Christ in ministry and in serving, this is chair number three. Now, moving from here to here, you couldn't do anything. It cost you nothing. But here to here will cost you something. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will cost you money. It will cost you something to move from here to here. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself and take up your cross, not a literal cross, but your purpose as you follow me. As you follow. It's that flow. It's that movement. So that's the servant. That's somebody decided to do that. And then finally we have the mentor. Discipleship is not completely working if you stop in chair three. Discipleship is only working when you have somebody, a follower of Jesus, who is making a follower of Jesus, who is making a follower of Jesus. The Great Commission is, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Not just be a disciple, but make a disciple. A pastor, I don't, I, I don't know the word enough. Not an excuse. Not a good enough excuse. I, I, I haven't been trained. Had, did you, have you noticed the disciples that Jesus picked? Everyone in this room is more trained than they are. Come on. 
These are the four chairs. And again, moving from here to here is going to cost you something. Now, the problem is in, in America, in the United States, people like me, preachers, have basically dumbed this whole thing down. And we've pretty much removed the last two chairs from the gospel equation. But the full gospel of Jesus Christ includes all four. All four. And that's what I've been trying to keep in our mind. And that if we're really going to be Christians, James, we're about to read, is like, hey, prove it. Prove it by not getting stuck and continuing to move in your relationship. We've, we've dumbed it down to the point where we just want people to come down and make a decision. To believe in Jesus. To say a prayer. Accept the Lord. Forgiveness of my sins. And shake my hand and sign a card and that be it. And I can report it to the denomination and be like, Woo, I got all these salvations. But nobody's life is being changed. There's no transformation. And I'm not good with that. And the Word of God is not good with that. And so we shouldn't be good with that. Let's look at this theme scripture from James one more time. James 3.13, the brother of Jesus says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Everybody say prove it. Prove it, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So we've pretty much dissected this little scripture in every direction. The first week, we talked about proving our Christianity through discipleship. In week two, we talked about proving it through wisdom. Last week, we talked about proving it through generosity. And this week, we're going to finish with proving it through an honorable life. An honorable life. And if you're wondering, if you're regular here, why I'm preaching at the table, I don't, if you're a guest, I don't normally do that. I like to move. But as I began to study this week, this, this talk was more like a, a, a conversation. It was more of a teaching moment than it was a sermon. And so that's why I'm, I'm kind of sitting. And I don't like to sit, but I, I'm, I'm doing it in discipline. So let's pray together that you would open your heart to this word and that we would hear from the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for preserving your word for us. Thank you so much for the presence we've felt in this place. And I pray that your word would become prophetic and powerful and we would receive it with joy. And it would be life-changing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. This past Monday, we celebrated one of the most honored men in our country's history, Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King literally gave his life for his dream to peacefully tear down the walls of racism and bigotry in our nation. Dr. King wasn't a perfect man. There is no other perfect man than Jesus Christ. But he was certainly an honorable man. So what does it mean to be an honorable person? What does it mean to live an honorable life? What's the first one word that comes to your mind? Say it out. Truthful. Honest. Honorable. Honest. That's the same root word. Loyalty. Good. Integrity. One more. Love. What? No pride. Okay, okay. I did a, I did a Google search. Isn't it amazing how, what you can do? Be careful with those, though. Um, I actually literally typed in, what does it mean to, to, to live an honorable life? This is not scriptural. This is just 
Google. And so this, these, a few of these responses I want to show you, these are, I don't know if they're Christians or not. Uh, look at the screen. You need, this one person said, you need to do the right thing all the time, no matter if anyone is looking over your shoulder. I believe by doing the right thing all the time, I live honorably. Somebody else said, an honorable person is someone who believes in truth and doing the, there it is again, and tries to live up to those high principles. And finally, living honorably means choosing the hard right over the easy wrong in life. I like that one. That says a lot in a very short sentence. Now, these are just a few quick responses, and I kept reading, and they were generally the same over and over again. All of us seem to agree that being honorable is choosing to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing, even when no one is looking. And yet, our country is completely divided. And both sides are completely convinced that they are... The government was shut down in just a little couple of days ago because both sides were convinced they were right. If I pass the microphone around in this room, and I'm not, <laughs> we would be divided in this room, in the house of the Lord. We would be divided. So if... Living an honorable life is simply doing what is right, then we have a problem. Because in our culture, look at the screen, right is relative. Right is relative. In other words, what is considered right to me may not be right to you. What is right in America may be offensive in Japan. What is considered right in the southeast where we live could be taken completely wrong in the northwest what may be right in your family may be completely unacceptable in mine. And every parent should say amen. Because you've all had children over to your home and watched them eat, watched them act, watched them talk, and been like, oh my, who is raising this child? Come on. Here's the deal. I want you to listen. This is a conversation. If we measure honor... And we measure an honorable life subjectively. That means against ourselves. That means we define it. We come up with that. It's going to constantly be shifting and moving and changing depending on the culture around us and depending on how we feel and our state of mind in the moment. If we're going to prove our faith by living an honorable life like James is suggesting, we cannot measure our life subjectively. We, we need an outside source that is trustworthy and constant. We need a standard of living that never changes with cultural fads or beliefs or opinions. We need something rock solid to stand on even when everything else seems to be turned upside down. And it is. It is. Wait a minute. A compass is a standard of direction for direction. It's very simple. <laughs> It always points true north. When technology fails, a good old-fashioned compass some, suddenly becomes a life-saving device. Measuring tape. Standard of measurement. If I was on a job site, I went to a job site, and somebody wanted me to cut a two-by-four at 16 and a quarter inches, I wouldn't dream about going and eyeballing it. 
I would be out of a job quickly, the first day. I would want to use the standard of measurement. Folks, if we want to prove our Christianity by living an honorable life, we can't rely on the voices around us to inform our decisions and our behavior. We can't even rely on our own voice. Those opinions and those voices are going to change more than we change underwear. At least least most of us. We... Sorry, I was just to wake you up. We must rely on a standard for living that will never change, never conform, and never let us down. And that is none other than the Word of the living God. In the Garden of Eden, Satan's tactic was not extreme. He was not trying to get Adam and Eve to do some crazy, maniacal, terrible thing. He simply wanted to get them to the place that they would question the Word of God. That they would question His command. And as they began to question it, their life spiraled out of control into sin and ultimately into judgment. I won't ask how many could raise their hand to that life in that decision. But guess what? Satan is a one-trick pony. He hasn't changed his tactics over the last several thousand years. Why why would he? It still works. So the rest of this sermon, the rest of this talk is built on the premise that God's word should be our standard for living. And I know that not everyone in this room has bought into that, and that's okay. But I want you to hear something from me. There is a wonderful freedom in trusting the word of God. And trusting something that is constant outside of yourself that is trustworthy so that we don't have to try to navigate this crazy, difficult life alone without instructions, clear instructions. So with that in mind, let's look at what the New Testament would teach us about what it means to live an honorable life. We're going to let the word of God be our measuring tape today. First Peter 2. Beginning with verse 1, you can uh, turn there or follow on the screen with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Peter says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Man, he doesn't pull any punches. He just starts right there. He says, like newborn babes. And I wish I had highlighted newborn. I did not. But like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will what? grow into a full experience of salvation. Peter is talking about all four chairs. He's talking about not getting stuck in chair two. He's talking, make sure you've got to crave the nourishment so that you can grow and move out of chair two to chair three to chair four, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he says, cry out. Everybody say cry out. Cry out out for this nourishment so that uh, now that you've had a taste of God's goodness, of God's mercy. That's chair two. Now that you've had a taste for it, cry out for more. What does a healthy baby do as soon as it comes out? (laughs) It's crying out. And then from there on, parents, we know it's our, we have to try to figure out what it's crying out for or it won't stop crying out. That's the picture that Peter, the apostle, is trying to give us, especially for new believers. When you are born again, 
Meaning you start a new life in Christ through believing in Him as your Savior. You need to cry out for more. If you're struggling, if you still have problems, and, and of course you do, if you're still going through stuff that you don't understand, if you pick up and you read something that you completely do not understand or do not get, don't stay silent. Cry out to somebody who's been a little bit farther down the road. Don't, don't, don't suffer in silence. Don't go through things alone or eventually you're going to fall away from the body of Christ. You've got to cry out for more. You've got to be like, I knew it this. I need help. I need help. Don't, don't let the dust settle in, in chair two. Don't build your dream home in chair two. Look at the screen. Living an honorable life means crying out for more of Jesus. Living an honorable life means never getting satisfied or comfortable with where you are. Once we see our need for God's word and begin to find nourishment, sorry, nourishment in Christ, you know what happens? Our spiritual appetite increases. Eventually, you're going to be like that teenager in the middle of the night that has to run to the refrigerator. Come on, what would a church be full of people acting like teenagers that can't get enough of the Word of God? They've just got to continue to devour it like your teenager does. Food. Like I'm going to do in just a few minutes. How powerful would that be? If that's how much we wanted the Word of God. Cry out for more. Our spiritual life, if we do that, our spiritual life will increase. Our ability to stand up to the enemy will increase. Our ability to share the gospel will increase. And we will begin to see marked spiritual growth in our life. And I guarantee you'll be encouraged by that. Cry out for more. Verse 4. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. There's our word. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Peter is saying to all of us, every single one of us here, from the oldest to the youngest, that we are all in ministry. We are all in. It's not just me. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the pastoral staff or the elders. We are all, if you follow Jesus, if you know Jesus, I am declaring to you today, maybe you've never heard this, but you are in ministry. Come on. I have one person. I need y'all to clap occasionally so I can get a drink. That, that, That theological idea is called the priesthood of all believers. Look at the screen. Living an honorable life means finding your purpose in the body of Christ. Living an honorable life means finding your niche where you fit. And can I tell you, you're never going to be satisfied with your faith until you are. You're going to get bored in chair two, I'm telling you. And some of you are right now. That's, that, that hits you like a two by four. You are bored because you're not operating in the gifts that God has given you. Was never designed, this whole thing was never designed just to be a church goer. It was designed that we be the church leaders, that we be the church and not just go to church, that we find our place in the body of Christ. In our individualistic society, it's easy to forget, listen, that we are to lean on each other, other believers, and be there for them to lean on us. That's how it works. We don't do this alone. 
We're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're a part of a living organism called the body of Christ. What part should you be playing? How exciting it is to find that out and begin doing it. And that's the vision of this church. That's exactly the vision of this church is to connect you to your purpose in Christ. Verse 6. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. What's the opposite of disgraced? Honored. Honored. That's what we're talking about. But you know, as I read this this morning, and this is not in your notes, I got this this morning in my, in my time of study. I got a couple of new things in, in my time of study this morning. But this was a powerful one. I don't think Peter was saying that if you trust in the Lord, the world is going to honor you. That's what we want. Every one of us, our flesh, we want to be raised up and honored. I do and you do. And there's, there's, there's not necessarily harm in wanting respect and things like that. But that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying if you completely trust and give yourself over to Christ, God will honor you. God will raise you up. And I don't know about you, but that's bigger and more important to me than being honored by the world. Come on, somebody. Give him praise if you believe that. Verse 7 says, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's saying that Jesus was rejected by the, the Jewish leadership, but he's actually now become the most important piece in the whole thing. Verse 8, and he is the stone that makes people stumble. Come on. Come on. The rock that makes them fall. They stumble, why? Because they do not know or obey the word. Jesus, everybody listen to me. Jesus is the most polarizing figure in human history. You either believe in him as Lord or you don't. You either follow him or you don't. You either proclaim him as Christ or as crazy. There is no in-between. This whole Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a cross. That's a, that's, listen to what C. I I love C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says about this. He says, with Jesus, you must make a choice. Either he was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Come on. Jesus is either Lord or he's not. And when we hear this, this prevalent thought of Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good teacher. That is a reflection of our gray culture where everything is just whatever truth is good for you, that's good for you. And whatever truth I decide is good for me, that's gray. And I'm telling you, the way it really is is way too black and white for most people. And so they end up stumbling over Jesus. And they reject who he really is. And in rejecting him, they make the worst decision of their lives because they're rejecting the one person who can save them, the one person who can actually give meaning and purpose to their lives. Look at, this, look at the screen. Living an honorable life means embracing what the Word says about Jesus. And you know what that really means? It means embracing what Jesus says about himself. 
Because he is the Logos. He is the living word. Capital W. John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. If you're in chair one this morning. You're seeking. Thank God you're here. You're seeking something bigger than yourself. You're seeking meaning and purpose for your life. You're seeking something that will give you joy and happiness. Don't make the greatest mistake of your life by rejecting who Jesus really is. Listen to this statement. Don't stumble over his life in an effort to find your own. Don't stumble over his life in an effort to find. How many would be honest and said, I wasted way too many years doing that? Come on. Don't stumble over his life. He is life. He is meaning. He is joy. He is purpose. Go through him, not over him. Verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show. Everybody say show. show. I wish this is another area that I missed throughout the week. I don't know how. I don't know how, but I did. But this morning, God hit me with it. He says, as a result... That because you know Christ, you're his possession, you can show others. I didn't put it on the screen, but living a, an honorable life means sharing the gospel, means sharing his love, means sharing the light. I hate to tell this story on myself. I, if you follow my Facebook, you know I, I spent the yesterday afternoon putting up this big uh, storage unit in my garage that hangs from the ceiling. It was a big, big metal thing that you had to go into the joists and, and, and do all. It was serious business. If you put it in wrong, the whole thing's going to fall in your car, okay? So you, you don't mess around with that. Uh, you, don't, you don't just put it up into the sheetrock or you're going to be in trouble. Problem is, I didn't have the tools to do it. Years back, I was flipping houses and stuff, and I got so burned with that life and so burned up and knowing I was out of the will of God and doing that and all of that. Nothing wrong with any of that. It's just for me. And I got so tired of it that somebody came along and offered me some money for all. I said, take them all, all my tools, all of them. Can I tell you every man needs a cordless drill? (laughs) Don't get rid of your cordless drill. And so I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. Am I going to go to Home Depot, Lowe's or whatever and go spend another $100 for a nice cordless drill? Y'all, from last week, if you were here, you know I'm too tight to do that. So I didn't do that. So I was like, I'll go next door. I know uh, this guy, he's Mike. You know, we've been here for a few months. I, I see him piddling around. I bet he's got one. So I went over there and sure enough, he had, he had like <laughs> everything. And so he was like, yeah, he was like Tim the Toolman Taylor and all that. Yeah, he was over there and he was, yeah, do you want to eat this? Do you need this? I'm like, no, I just, just, the, just this, the screw gun is fine. Um, so I went and I put the thing up, took it back over there. I gave it, met him at the door and he said, brother, again, we've been there for about 10 months. He said, man, I'm so sorry. I have forgotten your name. Next door neighbor. And I'm telling you the conviction of the Lord fell on me. Y'all, I traveled to Pakistan to preach the gospel. I'm going to be in Thailand and Germany this year preaching the gospel. And of course, I preach every single Sunday. I'm a pastor. And the guy next door did not know my name. I started making up stuff 
and, and, and a lame thing to try to start a conversation about Jesus. I never quite arrived there. It was sort of weird. And because that's not the way it's supposed to be. I had to apologize to the Lord. We've got to share it, folks. If we want to live an honorable life, we've got to share it with the people that are around us as well as across the ocean. Verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. As Christians, listen to me, our self-worth does not come from our positions or titles, or bank account, or accomplishments. Our identity is not based on how we look or how talented we are. Somebody say amen and thank God. Listen, look at the screen. Your value doesn't come from what you do, but from what Christ did. Come on. Your self-worth isn't based on what you bring to the table but on the fact that you have been made in the image of Almighty God. You have been bought with a price. You have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are not precious to God because of what you can do for Him. You are precious to God because you are His child. Amen. 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 I want to close. I want to close with a topic that has been flying all over the news. This is not... This was already in my notes before the stuff about New York came out this week. This was already in my notes because it flows out of this point of identity and self-worth. The last point, living an honorable life means valuing the sanctity of life. Now, you'd have to be living under a rock to have missed the state legislation signed in New York this week, giving doctors permission to abort babies all the way up to the moment of birth, birth. If, if the doctor feels the mother's life is in danger, a completely subjective decision made by one man or woman in the moment. Life and death, playing God. Folks, it's not a popular viewpoint, but human beings are not at the same level as animals. A baby whale is not to be valued the same as a baby human, whether that human is born or not born. The Genesis story is very clear that humans stand alone in all of creation because we have been created in fashioned and formed in the image of of Almighty God. Psalm 130, David does a beautiful job in describing this in Psalm 139, 13. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Now listen to verse 16. He says, You saw me. You saw me before I was born. You saw me before I was born. Now listen, I hear people sniffling and and crying, and I know this is extremely sensitive. In a, a room this size, there's no doubt that abortion has touched a lot of lives, and that there's people here perhaps who've been through abortion, who've had abortions, who have helped people or talked people into Abortions, And the first thing I want you to hear from my mouth is that there is grace 
there is restoration. There is healing through Jesus Christ. Somebody give God praise. But having said that, I have to also say that abortion directly violates the sanctity of life that God commands we uphold. Put very plainly and simply, abortion is an abomination before God. Throughout Scripture, the shedding of innocent blood is spoken as an abomination before God. And there is no one more innocent than a child, than a baby, born or unborn. Now listen, I want you, everybody, I know, I know this is tough. But that is not a political statement. This is not about being right wing or left wing, conservative, liberal, Republican or Democrat. Do not take me out of context with this. Look at the screen. Honoring God simply means honoring life. Honoring God means honoring life. God values every, every, every human life, whether born or unborn. And so we must follow suit. I want to finish with two scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. That you should avoid. Everybody say avoid. You should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy. And here's our word. Honorable. Folks, no matter what culture tries to cram down our throat that is acceptable, no matter what TV or movies or Hollywood or anybody else tries to cram down our throat, we cannot satisfy every base craving that comes to us. It's just not right. It's not the Word of God. Sin is still sin, and it's still a good thing to live right in His sight. It is still important. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we cannot just give ourselves over to every inclination that we have and every desire that we have. 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul says, if you keep yourself pure. Folks, look at me, look at me. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about trying to get into heaven or work our way into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be, there's a, Devil, your life, listen, don't let that be a distraction. Listen, your life will be clean and you will be ready. Everybody say ready. Ready. You will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Folks, listen, that's not Old Testament like some purifying ritual that the priests had to go through to go in the temple. This is the Apostle Paul talking to his protege, his disciple, his son in the Lord, a young man named Timothy. He's like, Timothy, look, buddy, I know you've got these urges and and all this stuff that's going through your body, but you can't give into it. You've got to learn how to spiritually fight and come against those things so that you can be ready to be of use in the kingdom of God. It's the same for us today. Give him praise if you believe that. Come on. That's our big idea today. An honorable life is a life that God can use. An honorable life is a life that God can use. So the whole premise today has been built on the Word of God. What does the Word of God declare is an honorable life? Not my opinion. Not your opinion. Not the talking heads. But the Word of the living God. How many of you truly want to be used by God in this life? Truly. I'm not a trick question. 
you truly want to be used to help people, to share the love of Christ, to share mercy, to share grace, to bring healing, to bring help, I believe you. I have no doubt that everyone who raised your hand, you honestly believe that. But you know, raising your hand is easy. Following through is a lot harder. But folks, this whole series has been about saying, look, if you love God, if you want to be used by Him, James says, prove it. This is not in condemnation. This is encouragement. We've got to take action with our faith. I want to end the entire series with a challenge. Are you ready? (laughs) Maybe. If you aren't doing it already, you've got to carve time and protect time every single day to get into the presence of Almighty God. You've got to do it. It's not, I'm going to get to it. I really need to do it. No, you've got to do it. You cannot move from chair two to three unless you get in God's presence. Every day. This is not enough. This is great. You being here today, another full crowd, wonderful, praise the Lord, that's not enough. It's not enough to move you just being in a row and listening to the pastor. Pastor, I, I have to, I, I'd have to get up 30 minutes earlier. Let's make a sacrifice. I have to stay up later. I don't recommend doing that because you're not going to be all there. You're going to be tired. If it works for you to do it at night, great. It doesn't for me. I'm dead. I'd be like, Lord, I'm just praying. Let me get in the Word. And then like three sentences later, I'm gone. Anybody? Come on. It really needs to be when you're fresh. First fruits. Give Him our best. Get up a little earlier. I I discovered this in my senior year of high school. I didn't do it in the morning. (laughs) I was a little fresher. But when I took my lunch, a 17-year-old boy giving up lunch. That's pretty serious. And I went and I went to the I went to Mount Perrin North, uh, the school that was there at the time. And there's a choir room and I would go in there and just spend 30, 45 minutes with the Lord. And it changed my life. And it will change yours. Do whatever is necessary to just do this one thing, this one thing out of the whole series. Because guess what? If you get in God's presence and you begin studying the Word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to deal with things and the automatic, natural things that are going to come out of your life are, are all the other things we've talked about. He'll tell you the adjustments. He'll tell you the people to talk to. He'll tell you what you need to do to share the Gospel and how to grow in Him and what your next step is in Him. He'll tell you if you'll spend the time with Him. And I would make one recommendation I like the New Living Study Bible. Write that down. The New Living Study Bible. It's got some great commentary that helps you explain. If you're new to the faith, helps explain what you're reading. And start in the New Testament. Start in the New Testament. Amen? Bow your heads, please.